today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. So what's going on with the housing market? I mean, you know, we've had all sorts of stories and, and discussions about economic downturns and uh, what's happening with various levels of the economy. The housing market is just off the roof right out of off scales right now it's just incredible what's going on and it's been happening for the longest time right now uh, i mean we've had bubbles where there's been blips and, and people have taken advantage of that but uh, it's uh, unprecedented i think what's going on here uh, there's a fascinating article about this uh, yesterday in uh, the bloomberg news the housing boom that never ends already wiped out all the short sellers uh, ari elstetter is a reporter with uh, the guys of course over at bloomberg news and of course also uh, the co-author of uh, this report and uh, he joins us on the bill Kelly show to talk about this. Ari, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. What's going on with the market? I mean, I I can remember that we've had blips. I think there was one about six, seven years ago where, you know, people were actually, you know, there were biddings going on for houses and people were paying like $100,000 more than, than the house was probably even worth. And we thought, well, that was crazy. And it went on for a little while, but then it died down. Uh, this one doesn't show any signs of letting up yet. Yeah, no, the 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 uh, the housing market is going from hot to boiling. It's just, um, it, it's it's getting a bit crazy right now. I mean, th- there was just data out yesterday uh, that shows a, a new a new record in in price increases across the country um, in February, um, as as sales transactions picked up to uh, to, to uh, record levels. Um, it, it just seems like the combination of of low interest rates. And the uh, um, desire, the the pandemic-induced desire for bigger properties, is just uh, inducing people to to uh, bid more and more on on any property that comes to market. Of course, the flip side of that, I mean, those two factors are inducing demand, but supply is also at record low levels. Um, and and part of that could be that a lot of people don't want to. Uh, put their houses on the market during the pandemic. Maybe they're waiting for uh, you know the spring, the spring season to come along, and and some of the uh, pandemic uh, um, regulations to be to be relaxed a little. But right now, there's just not many people. There's not many houses to buy. There's a lot of people that want to buy them, and a lot of cheap money people can use to do it. But I would have thought, and, and I know economists love to look at trends because that's that's the data that they use to try to predict what's going to happen next. Uh, when they were in tough economic times, and certainly we've been like that for about the last year or so, and they, all the signs seem to indicate that, people tend to hang on to their money, don't they, Ari? They're not doing it now. The housing market, they're, now I know part of it, it, it's not really their money because they're borrowing it, and that's another part of this discussion, I guess. But just the same, it, it's it's a risk, and it takes a lot of courage in an environment, an environment like this to say, I'm going to go and make one of the biggest purchases of my life right now. I'm going to go and buy myself an $800,000 house. Yeah, well, I think I mean when when the pandemic first hit, uh, you know, people expected that you know this would be the thing that would finally you know crash the Canadian housing market. Uh, you know, it, it would it would cause a really deep recession, and and that would cause uh, home values to crash. But in fact, it was just the opposite. Uh, home values skyrocketed, activity skyrocketed, and you know, looking back, the benefit of hindsight. It turned out the reason that happened is that the economic fallout, the pandemic, disproportionately affected um, people who have, who have uh, um, you know weaker financial position, uh, uh, people uh, who are more likely to rent than own. Uh, th- th- those are the people, uh, people in service industries, um, in the sort of face-to-face economy. Those are the people who are put out of work, whereas uh, you know. 
people people higher up the income ladder, uh, professionals, um, you know, lawyers, uh, tech workers, office workers of all kinds, uh, white collar workers, they actually found that their their employment um, maintained. They could pretty easily work from home, um, and and they were able to take advantage of all the cheap money uh, that came available as inter- interest rates dropped uh, during the pandemic, and so. That's sort of what's driven this market is that, you know, the people most able to buy homes actually did pretty well uh, financially during this pandemic. Well, the people less likely to buy homes, more likely to rent, they've been hit the hardest. And that's why, uh, despite a very high unemployment rate, um, the housing market has continued to boom because that high, high unemployment rate is disproportionately affecting one part of the population rather than the other. And as we've seen, there are winners and losers in this. I mean, as you mentioned, the people in the higher income brackets and higher income jobs uh, are doing quite well, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, we've seen increases in their salaries and increases in the profits of those companies, so they've got disposable income. And you included in the piece, so that was kind of nice, uh, one of my favorite lines from The Sopranos, Tony Soprano saying, uh, uh, buy land because God ain't making any more of it. I remember that show particularly. Uh, but it, it's never been more true than now, is it? I mean, people figure, hey, I've got this disposable income. I may as well invest it in real estate. Yeah, well, I mean, in in Canada, you know, we have a, a, a pretty severe shortage of housing, um, and, and it, it sort of is concentrated in our largest cities like Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, um, where where constraints, both geographic and and also because of regulations, mean it's hard to to build more homes. I mean, Toronto, for instance, surrounded by the green belt. Um, on one side and the Lake Ontario on the other, obviously, um, you know, which which constricts the amount of land you have to build more homes. And then, you know, as, as much as everyone has seen, you know, the nonstop development of condos uh, around um, Toronto over the last decade, uh, the truth is it, it, it's quite a slow process to to build up in the city because because the uh, the consultative process and the regulatory process slows it down a lot and and that's been in the face of a very high demand where uh, um, you know we have very high immigration in this country it, it creates a uh, very fast population growth all these people need a place to live and we're not we're not building them fast enough uh, in our major cities and, and, and what's really changed in the uh, in the pandemic um, is that because of this work from home it's it's uh, allowed people to move out of the cities. So high earners from Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal are suddenly freed to move further afield. Um, and, and that's kind of exporting the the uh, affordability challenges that previously were confined to the major cities, it's exporting them out to smaller towns and, and cities, uh, you know, in, in the sort of periphery of these areas, southern Ontario, all around Vancouver, the, the sort of lower mainland, the areas around Montreal, now they're seeing very, very high increases. In fact, some of the highest increases in the price of their home values is making, is in turn making it harder for locals to afford a place to live there. Well, exactly. And I mean, Vancouver's kind of separate and apart because I've always been kind of crazy with real estate out there for a whole lot of reasons. And you guys have written about that in the past. But that's the anomaly that, that you just touched on here that I think is shocking an awful lot of people. We've always known that, okay, the major centers, like especially in Toronto, because it's a huge intake center for immigration, uh, that there's going to be a housing situation here and that's going to spike prices. But it's bled out there. It used to be just, well, they're, they're going to move to Mississauga. And then it was, okay, uh, maybe they're going to go to, to, to Bolton or they're going 
going to go up there. That now it's I, I know it's sped all the way down. I'm talking to some of our friends in London, the real estate business down there. That's gone off the market. Hamilton, of course, is is one of the hottest markets right now. The average price here, I think, is a little over eight hundred thousand dollars. We've never seen numbers like that. But it's going up into cottage country now, to resort areas all over the place. People are just saying, I can't afford this anymore. I'll do that. I'll I'll go two and a half hours away if that's what it takes to put a roof over my head. Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, one one mortgage broker, I believe, his line was, the, 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 the mantra now is drive until you qualify. You just keep on <laughs> you know, driving out from the city. It's, it's sad, until, but true. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, it's causing sort of strange distortions in some of these markets. I mean, one stat that we highlight um, in our piece in, is in Woodstock, Ontario. Yeah. Um, the the average increase in the home value last year is greater than the average um, annual salary of a of a normal resident in Woodstock. Uh, so, so so if you own a home there, you you've potentially made more money just on on appreciation of the home last year than you did in your take home pay. Um, but you know, which is obviously great for people who already have homes. But for anyone who isn't already in the market in Woodstock, uh, and and you have to you know rely on your salary in Woodstock to try to afford a home, uh, you're in a really tricky position. Um, it, it's really made it uh, more difficult for you to be able to buy a place yourself. There's an interesting stat. This was it was jaw dropping for me that, that you guys included in the in the piece. Sorry, uh, today buying, selling, uh, and building of homes in Canada takes up a larger share of the economy than it does in any other developed country. That's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. The um, I mean, uh, real estate in, as an industry has really taken a central role in our our economy um, uh, nationally, but much more so than any of our any of our peers and. And, you know, it, it creates all sorts of strange knock-on effects. Uh, and for instance, one that, that is becoming sort of more of a concern to economists is, um, does that start squeezing out other uh, types of economic activity? Are, are mm-hmm. we spending so much money um, putting a roof over our heads that we're maybe not investing in other areas of the economy that are more productive, um, machinery and, and maybe development of, of artificial intelligence? Um, uh, and these kinds of things th- that might, uh, um, you know, create more jobs or, or create new industries. Um, and that, so that's increasingly starting to be a concern. And then, of course, uh, you know, if you put all your eggs in one basket, there's a, a greater risk that all your eggs are going to break if that basket tips over. And, and that more and more is, is the case with, with uh, real estate in Canada's economy that, that, you know, it does create a situation where if the worst were to happen with the real estate market, it creates a much uh, larger problem for the whole country than it would otherwise just because so much of our economy is now real estate. And and how problematic is that? I mean, you know, real estate is by nature volatile. It, it can go up and down at, at a short, very short notice. Uh, but if that's one of the pillars of your economic uh, investment these days, uh, if that tanks, the economy is going to be tremendously impacted by that. Right. Well, well, I mean, right now the Bank of Canada is basically saying that, you know, we, we need to get growth where we can get it. <laughs> and in, in the current, um, you know, difficult situation, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers and, and, and um, we need to uh, uh, encourage what we have. And what we have right now is real estate. It, it, it does potentially create longer-term um, uh, frailties 
or dangers in the economy. Um, but I mean, sort of what we go to in the piece is that for a long time, uh, people have been saying the real estate market is about to crash, the bubble is about to crash, and it just hasn't happened yet. And more and more, people are looking at the fundamentals of what's driving it. And they say, well, these things aren't going to change. And the fundamentals are, we were talking about before, um, a lack of supply, um, in, in particularly in, in Canada's major cities, but, but really just nationally. And, and, and unless, you know, a whole bunch of houses or apartments suddenly appear, that's not going to change in a hurry. Uh, th- then the other pillar is, is immigration. Um, and you know, th- there's no indication that immigration is, is going to obviously slow down during the pandemic. But but the, the government plans to increase its immigration targets to make up for that. Um, Canada has one of the fastest growing populations in the group of seven countries because of immigration. And and generally, there's you know, immigration is accepted and and supported by Canadians. So there's there's not much reason to believe that that's going to change uh, because of all the growth it brings to the rest of the country. The last pillar is low interest rates. And uh, the Bank of Canada is saying that they want to keep interest low for at least to at least 2023. So that's not going to change either. <laughs> yeah, they they pretty much guarantee that even as we start to pull out and we're starting to see some green shoots of economic growth, even you know the, although we're still in the pandemic, uh, we're get the assurances we're getting for the Bank of Canada is we're not going to touch interest rates. Uh, we, we want you to spend money uh, when you come out of this. Uh, but the problem is, is that we're spending it on on this, and it's it's a rather shaky enterprise, I guess. I mean, you know, for the people that are making money from it, this is fabulous news. But you're right. I mean, you know, there's a long-term uh, consequence to, to building a lot of houses and keeping that, too, because residential development does not pay for itself. Uh, and it actually puts a, a, a much greater burden on municipalities. It costs a lot more to service them, not just initially, but, you know, with fire protection, police protections, you know, street sanitation, all that sort of stuff, as opposed to commercial growth, which, you know, pays a higher tax rate and is actually an economic asset to a municipality. We seem to be going the other way now, though. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the concern that, that you know, this residential real estate is, is taking up, it's squeezing out other things, it's sucking some of the air out of the rest of the economy. Um, and, I mean, increasingly, it seems like policymakers are... are um, calling attention to this and, and starting to get their notice and, and major economists at the banks are saying that, that there has to be something done to try to cool down this housing market. Um, so a lot of people are starting to expect policy measures will come. Um, it's just, it, in the face of such fundamental drivers as very low interest rates, high population growth, and low supply of housing, it, it's kind of getting hard to see what will substantially slow down the growth in real estate in Canada. Uh, do we want it to slow down? Because right now it seems to be the only thing that's active. The Bank Canada is saying we don't. <laughs> that at least for now <laughs> it's all we got. So, so you know, we got to um, hold on to it and, and encourage it. Um, and and you know, maybe that'll start to change once the rest of the economy picks up. But right now we've got to take the growth that we have, and, and the growth that we have is real estate. Uh, and let's face it, there are some winners in this too. I mean, as you mentioned right at the beginning of the piece, there's some speculators now that are just, uh, you know, having a, a great old time uh, because of the way things are going these days. I mean, you can make a really good buck here if you want to buy a property and, and hang on to it even for a, a couple of months. It's probably going to increase in value enough for you to to flip it and make yourself a nice, tidy profit. So there's, as you say, every time there's like this, there's winners and losers. But uh, And you were so right to point out in the piece too that uh, the losers are the people that can't afford houses anymore uh, and governments are going to 
be betwixt and between, as because they're going to have, I, I guess, I guess dueling uh, perspectives here, aren't they? Because uh, there's going to be one side that says we need to do something to cool this off, and on the other hand, there's going to say, but we also have to develop policies to make sure that these people that can't afford properties can afford them. Uh, so you know, we're, I guess, we're creating problems for ourselves in this. But uh, maybe the mantra now seems to be, let's live for today. We're making money, and this seems to be working. So let's do this. Yeah, it seems so. It seems so. I, I, I think the speculators are one area that policymakers particularly have their eye on. Um, you know, if, if people start, if that becomes a larger part of the market. Right now, it does seem to be driven largely by an actual end users. I mean, I, I did mm-hmm. speak to that one speculator who, who has been at it, you know, in the Toronto area for about 10 years now. Um, but uh, we also have some data from January that showed speculation speculative activity is probably about six percent of the market activity in the suburbs um compared to four percent a year ago so it's increasing um but whether or not six percent is still driving the market it seems that policymakers and most of the people in the industry still seem to think that what's driving the market now is people wanting bigger homes uh this sudden shift in taste brought by the pandemic of you know we no longer want to live in an apartment we want a place with a yard um, and and maybe a, a few extra bedrooms for offices, and 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 that's what's driving it. And so I think right now policymakers are saying, well, that's you know a fundamental and, and reasonable thing to be driving it. But they're going to be keeping a close eye on whether or not speculation is starting to take over, and and whether or not you know even these end buyers are are buying now, you know more because of fear of missing out, just just because they mm-hmm. think it's going to be more expensive later rather than whether they actually need the house now. Great reporting on this stuff, Ari. Uh, this story is called The Housing Boom That Never Ends Already Wiped Out All the Short Sellers. I think it's still online, too, Bloomberg.com, if uh, people want to check that out. Thanks so much for the time today, and stay well. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Bill. Have a good one. Take care. Ari Elstadter, of course, with Bloomberg News. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.